This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. First, I'd like to say again thank you for listening. For those who are returning, thank you for giving me your time. And for those who may be listening for the first time, I do hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged in your walk with the Lord. If you would like to write to me, contact me, have any thoughts or feedback or suggestions, please feel free to send an email to ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. I'd love to hear from you. It's great to hear from listeners. So please send me a note if you have half a mind to. Today, I'd like to tell a little story, and it's an example of how the Lord has used a challenging time in my life to teach me a really good lesson. And as I was putting my notes together on this, I realized that it's a very rich and good lesson to be taught. And as I've said in previous talks, the Lord uses these difficult times, these challenging times to build us up, to develop perseverance. These hard, difficult times are like classroom time where we learn lessons. Maybe it's practicum, but really it's more like a classroom God teaches us, and hopefully we learn lessons, and then later he'll give us a chance to put into practice what he's been teaching us. I was talking to my daughter the other day about the distinction between being taught something and actually learning something. And very often people will sit in school and be taught things, but they don't actually learn. I know, well, that's true in my life, of course. It's also true in the kingdom of heaven as we sit at the feet of Jesus that he will teach us things. Uh, And sometimes we don't learn him, and he'll come back and teach us that lesson again, because he will continue his good work all the way through to the last day. So let's be people that hear and obey, put into practice what he teaches us. So this story goes back several years. For those of you who don't know, uh, our daughter is adopted. We adopted her at about the age of three, three and a half years old. She had been living in a Russian orphanage for about a year prior to that, Her birth mother had gone to prison, and Valerie was put in an orphanage. We knew Valerie's birth mother from long before Valerie was born. So that's how we came to adopt Valerie, through knowing her and her birth mom. And it took a little while to do all the paperwork and get everything ready to bring Valerie home with us. And I was all excited about this little girl coming from an orphanage who's going to live with us, and I was just so thrilled that she was going to love me and be my daughter, and we would have this great relationship. You know, it's this idealistic thinking that I had. Well, I've told this story. Valerie has heard it. I've told other people, so I'm not really saying anything. I don't think I should. I'm assuming Valerie or her children will listen to this sometime years from now. When we picked Valerie up at the orphanage, uh, it was cold She was all bundled up. It was in wintertime in December in St. Petersburg. We drove home, and the car was a little bit too hot for her. And as we were driving home, I had these feelings that this was just a beautiful day, the beginning of a new life for Valerie. Here she is with her new family, and we're driving home, and she's sitting back there all bundled up, and she got too hot, and she threw up all over herself. (laughs) We're driving home and I have all these romantic, idealized thoughts, and she's in the back seat, blah, throwing up on herself. 
poor kid. She had no idea what was going on, you know, got car sick. And so that was the beginning of our life together. So we got home and this was in the evening. And the next day, uh, just realized that she wasn't responding to me the way that I was expecting her to and the way that I thought she ought to. I was thinking, well, this orphan ought to be grateful and thankful and she ought to be um, expressing love and, you know, we should just have this great family time now that we're all together. But she wasn't acting that way. Of course, now I see that she was confused and everything was new and she really didn't know me. And so for about a day, I felt like a heart-sick teenager. I had this feeling Oh, she doesn't love me, but she's got to love me. Doesn't she know how great it is to be with me? Those were my feelings. I was, yeah, it it really did feel like a heartsick teenager that my love was not being requited. She wasn't loving me the way that I demanded her to love me. And it was an emotional time. It was a bit of a brick wall for me. Also, Olga ran into a brick wall that is common with adoptive parents. It's your life changes immediately when the child arrives in the home and there's not even a pregnancy to kind of ramp up to. It just happens very quickly. So we both hit this wall. Mine was that Valerie didn't love me the way I expected her to love me. She didn't express affection for me. As a matter of fact, she would pull away if I touched her. She wouldn't get up in my lap and let me read to her. I was expecting all of these things. And as I said, for about a day, I felt like a heartsick teenager. And I prayed about it, and I'm glad it was only a day, not longer than that. And as I prayed about it, the Lord brought a scripture to my mind from 1 John chapter 4. And I'd like to read an extended part of the context of the scripture and then talk about what the scripture is. So here we'll begin 1 John chapter 4 in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now in verse 13, continuing, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So that's 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. The scripture that the Lord brought to my mind on that day as I was praying about the situation with Valerie is verse 19, but I want to look at verse 10 as well. John says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And this is reflected in verse 19, and this is the scripture that came to my mind that day. We love because he first loved us. That's what the Lord put on my heart as I was praying about this situation with Valerie, wanting her to love me, wanting to have a close, intimate relationship with my adopted daughter. We love because he first loved us. I love God because he first loved me. And if I wanted my daughter to love me, then I had to love her first. I needed to play that role in her life as a loving father. In order for that love to come my direction, I needed to be a source of love for my daughter. And yet, she would not receive my expressions of affection. As I said, she would pull away if I touched her. She wouldn't climb up in my lap. She didn't know me. So what was I to do? Well, I came up with the idea of stealth love. That is, showing love in a way that was stealthy, kind of hidden. In a way that was kind of sneaky, I guess. Stealthy. For instance, uh, if I touched her, she would pull away from me. But when she was sitting at the table having breakfast, if I was walking from the toaster to the refrigerator, I would walk behind her and I would just brush my hand across her shoulders very quickly, very peacefully, very softly, just a a brief little touch of affection before she could pull away or respond in a negative way, just a gentle touch on the shoulders. I would give gifts without expecting any response. I remember one time putting a picture in a picture frame. It was a picture I took of her and Olga together, and I put it in a frame, and then I put it on a table where it was right at eye level with this little three-and-a-half-year-old girl. And as she came walking around the corner, and there was this new picture sitting there, and it was her and her mom together smiling. Boy, she was just so overjoyed to see that picture frame and to see that she was part of a family. But that was part of my stealth love showing affection to her in a way that she didn't really realize that it was me loving her. But I was trying to express that love to her. I would speak with kindness, even if she was not in the mood to speak to me. So that was this idea of stealth love. If I wanted her to love me, I needed to express love to her. And if she was unwilling to receive that love or respond to that love, I still needed to do it, but do it in a way that was kind of sneaky in a way that she would receive it uh, when her guard was down, I guess, would be one way to say it. But it was purposeful on my part to express love without expecting a response immediately or anything like that. I was just being obedient to what the Lord was showing me. We love God because he first loved us. And if we want others to love us, then we need to be expressions of that love. Another thing that comes to mind as I think about that is that human beings are basically mirrors in our relationship with the Lord. We reflect back to him the love that he gives to us. As he loves us, as his blessings flow towards us, then we reflect back love and gratitude and thanksgiving 
and obedience. He loves first, and then and only then are we able to love. I do want to take a second here to talk about love. What is love? And I've mentioned this in previous talks. In the kingdom of God, love is not primarily an emotion. Love is not a preference for something that gives us pleasure. In English, for sure, we use the word love to talk about lots of things. You can say, oh, I love the color blue. Are you willing to give your life for the color blue? (laughs) Well, in that case, the word love doesn't really mean a selfless affection for the color blue. It's a preference, something that we like. But in the kingdom of God, love can be commanded. We are commanded to love, and so love is an action. Love is of the will. If love were not of the will, then God could not command us to love. This agape love is seeing the need in another person and meeting that need, especially at a cost to ourselves. That is this selfless agape love in the kingdom. Seeing a need in another person and taking an action, choosing by our will to meet that need, especially at a cost to ourselves. And yet, the thought comes to mind, how can we love God if he doesn't need anything? Well, of course, God doesn't need anything from us, but he does desire to have a relationship with us. He wants that. That is something that he really, really wants, because he knows the very best thing for us is to abide in him, to follow him, to receive his spirit, to live an overflowing life. So our response to his love and the way that we can show our love to God is to surrender ourselves to him. That is our act of love and worship. And Jesus said that if we want to be his disciples, we have to deny ourselves. So our act of love and worship is denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and following him, living by the Spirit. And as we do that, then and only then are we able to truly love others, to consider their needs before our own. And so the golden rule comes to mind. And I'd like to read from Luke chapter 6 the context around what we know as the golden rule. And here is Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Continuing in verse 32, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. 
So that's the context for the golden rule, to do to others as you would have them do to you. It says here that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Well, I know that's true because he has been kind to me. He is a loving father. He is merciful. And he calls his people to also be merciful and kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So this is the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I have a story about the golden rule. I think I'll take a minute here to tell it. And maybe I'll go into it a little bit more in full later. Years ago, a church here in St. Petersburg, Russia, was going through a leadership change. It's a local church here that was supported by a big church in California. The senior pastor had left uh, under some pretty bad circumstances, and the local leadership here, the elders, appointed a new pastor. And the pastor of the church in California heard about this appointment, and he did not agree with the person the local leadership had appointed as the pastor. Now, the local fella, the pastor that had just been appointed, was so happy and so thrilled to be moving into ministry, and the local leadership were very confident that this was the best thing. But the pastor in California, who had been sending support for this church for many years, flew over here to Russia to have a meeting because he was not happy with this appointment. So he met with the leadership of the church and sat down with them and told them that he was not happy with who they had chosen as the pastor, and he had somebody else in mind. And he reminded them that he had been supporting their church quite a bit financially over the years. And he said to them, you know what the golden rule is, right? And they all like sort of looked at each other and said, yeah, yeah. And this is what this American pastor said. This is the golden rule. He who has the gold rules. Gosh. Oh, my. What? That's wicked. That is really wicked that this pastor would come and say such a thing to these earnest believers, brothers in the Lord. It's an insult and an offense. My goodness, there are false teachers, and we're to flee them. So that's my story about the golden rule. But now let's focus on what Jesus really said. What that pastor in California said was wicked. It was insulting. It was offensive. And the teachings of Jesus are in the very opposite spirit. Christians are to consider the needs of others first, to serve other believers and not be overbearing or bossy or to make people obey out of compulsion. Jesus doesn't come to us that way. Jesus does not force anyone to follow him. He does not force anyone to be a disciple. Remember, he says, if you want to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. There's an if there. And he gives this golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. And I just want to say that the golden rule is not good advice. You can quote me on that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't give good advice. He gives commands. The golden rule is not advice. It's a commandment. It's an imperative. Jesus doesn't speak in memes. Cute, 
catchy sayings that we can quickly discard and then move on to the next one. He's not a source of quotes for greeting cards that we can read and feel good about and then close up. He's not just another person offering advice. He is the king of creation, and Jesus reveals how creation works. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And he doesn't say, I suggest that it might be a good idea if you'd maybe consider doing to others what you would have them do to you. No, no, he commands us to act in this way. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If every human on the face of earth were to treat others the way that they themselves would like to be treated, think of the peace and the harmony that we'd have. And of course, that's where we're headed. On the judgment day, all wickedness is going to be rooted out. And we will live that way then. We will live in that harmony. Because that darkness of self-concern, self-love, and selfishness will be gone. That rotten cancer will be removed completely. Now, I want to talk about maturity just a second here. It's immature to want to be loved and expect or demand that people love us. The mature believer is steady and unselfish, able to be a source of love, even to enemies, those who not only do not love us, but actually hate us. God wants us to be a source of love to other people. People may not want to receive our love, or they may not be able to understand it, But we can love in this way because God first loved us and set the example for us. Followers of Jesus are to be sources of love to the people around us, not reflections of love or even sponges of love. We are to be sources of mercy. We are to be sources of goodness, especially to our enemies. If we're a source of goodness to people who are good to us, what credit is that to us? But we should bless our enemies. This is the character of God. So I want to close again with these words of Jesus. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Until next time, my friends, I do pray that the Lord will continue to reveal to you His Word and His ways, because His pathways are good, and when we walk on them, we will always find peace for our souls. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.